Welcome. You're listening to Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the podcast that pulls back the curtains in your mind. We like to shed a little light on why you're thinking what you're thinking. Everyone has a choice in life, in what and how they think. Together, we're going to focus on high-functioning habits. There is no more time to live with any sort of regret. Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the inspirational podcast for the inspired. Let's get into today's show with your host, Shelley R. Shearer. Hello, world. Shelley Rose Shearer here, and welcome to the show. Today is my first guest of the season, and I'm quite excited because a lot of my journey lately that I've been sharing with you very much aligns with this man's work and his transformational journey that he teaches now. So let me introduce you to John David Latta, who is a mystic author, teacher, and former founder and CEO of a multi-million dollar consumers products company. He shares intimate and personal stories and teaches workshops on leadership, healing, transformation, awakening, love, synchronicity, and wisdom that unite and expand the human experience. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Shelley. Appreciate the invitation. I'm really happy to be here. Excellent. That's a lot of hats you're wearing when you're teaching. So let's get right into your journey because okay. uh, I was scoping out your website, of course, and checking out the books and, and such. And just start our, our uh, listeners off with how you started this transformational journey. Sure. Uh, like most people, I started it with pain and suffering. Uh, I don't know why it has to be that way. I don't think it has to be that way, but that is the way it is for a lot of people and I'm included. Um, and when I was in my early forties up to that point, I think I'd lived a relatively charmed life. And then in a short period of time, it seemed like everything that could go wrong all went wrong at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife got cancer, thyroid cancer, um, the blink of an eye, they ended up taking out her entire thyroid gland, a bunch of lymph nodes. And she has to take a pill every day for the rest of her life just to live. And she started changing. She started reading books like about God and the meaning of life. She started reevaluating her own life. And at that point in my life, I'd been this sort of rigid, rational, competitive, hardworking guy. And I'm not really sure I knew how to support her through that journey, but she was definitely reevaluating her whole life during that period of time. The same time I left my very secure corporate job, started my own company. And while the sales were great, the, the red ink was horrible. Mm. And in a short period of time, I lost all of our money and a whole bunch more. And I was $650,000 in debt. I borrowed against the house, quarter million in personal credit card debt, um, and $100,000 SBA loan. I got money from every source I could, and it didn't seem like it was going to end. And we were teetering on the edge of bankruptcy every single day. And then, uh, and to add on to all of that, I had been, again, this sort of rigid, competitive, hardworking guy that considered himself anti-spiritual and anti-religious. And um, suddenly I had this unbelievable fear of death. I don't know where it came from. And, and I had no, I'd never thought about death before. And all I could conceive of is when I die, that's it. It's over. And I just couldn't wrap my head around it's over forever. It's oblivion. It was terrifying to me. Did and your so, wife's illness, sorry, uh, did, did your wife's illness trigger part of that, do you think? Or was it a completely separate experience just with the stress you were under? I think it was completely separate because there was no, never a time that the doctor said that your wife was going to die. It was like they took it all out, um, did a couple of rounds of what they call radioactive iodine. It's like what mm -hmm. their version of chemotherapy for that kind of cancer. 
said she was fine. As long as she takes the synthetic thyroid hormone pill for the rest of her life, she'll be fine. I don't know where it came from. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I was kind of staunchly, like I said, anti-spiritual, anti-religious. So I didn't have any uh, religious background to fall back on. Plus I was probably too proud to go even talk to anybody about it. So, and then the middle of it all, my wife decides she wants a whole new life leaves and uh, says, you're the better parent. You take care of the kids. And she moves on. And now suddenly I'm a single dad with two kids. They're nine and 11. And, um, and so in the blink of an eye, it seemed like I went from charmed life to it felt like bad husband, bad dad, bad businessman, and a grown man running around behind closed doors, terrified of death. The anxiety was just over the top. I was already one of these skinny, scrawny, athletic kind of guys. And I lost 15 pounds. And I looked like this walking human skeleton because I just wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating very well. And um, about that same period of time, I was reading Michael Crichton's book, Travels. And Michael Crichton, the author, a lot of people don't know that he wrote uh, a nonfiction book that was sort of an autobiography. And I love that book. And he went through a difficult time in his life. And he also was sort of staunchly anti-religious, anti-spiritual. Uh, but he went to his first ever spiritual retreat. And I read about his experiences there. And for somebody, meaning me, that was so anti-spiritual, I loved reading about the experiences he had there. I must have read that chapter, which is probably only 10 or 20 pages long a hundred times. Hmm. And right when I was in the middle of just my most anxious, anxiety ridden despair, I ran to the internet and said, I wonder if this guy is still alive and teaching these workshops still. And there he was, I signed up on the spot, I justified it by saying, you know, if I go bankrupt, another couple thousand isn't going to matter. <laughs> so, and, and so I went and the weird thing is a bunch of synchronicities in my life, I didn't even know what the word meant. Uh, started to happen almost the day I signed up for that retreat. Uh, I signed up at the last minute, hop a plane, probably just a couple of weeks later. And as the plane is touching down in Southern California, the retreat was high up in the desert there in the mountains there. Uh, I look over and the woman next to me is reading the retreat leader's book. And I'm like, are you going to this retreat? And she goes, yeah, I'm kind of nervous. Are you? Yeah, I'm going too. The only two people on, there was 180 people on the plane. The only two people going were her and me. And what are the chances we'd end up sitting by side by side? And the nice thing was could have a good laugh about it because I was really nervous. It's, mm -hmm. I like to say it's like being a Nazi skinhead your whole life and suddenly deciding you're going to be best friends with your black neighbors and move in with them. It was that difficult for me. And so I go and I, I had a couple of very interesting spiritual experiences. But what I really got from it was, I hadn't realized how much I kept everybody at distance my whole life mm. and the intimacy, the honesty, the vulnerability in the group setting. I loved it, you know, and, um, and a lot of other synchronistic experiences started happening at the workshop. Like I couldn't believe it. Like I have a really good math mind. I'm a businessman. I ran a chemical company for a lot of years. Like, like in the bio, you said a large mm. consumer products company, uh, when I was really young, I used to gamble at the racetrack a lot. So I know a lot about probabilities and over and over, I kept going, what are the chances of that happening? What are the chances of that happening? And so that's how the journey began. Um, and without knowing at the time, I like to say when somebody is going through a deep transformation, they never can really tell what's going on at the time. It's only later in retrospect that you can look back and say, 
oh my God, that's what was happening. Or, oh my mm -hmm. God, that was actually a good thing. I'm really glad that happened. And so <clears throat> I was about to get completely uh, inducted into all things that I would call feminine and all things that I would call spiritual. Okay. Two elements of my life that I completely excluded up to that point in my life. And it was sort of bizarre. Like I, I signed up for group therapy uh, which I'd never done before. In the blink of an eye, I was mostly an on, the only guy with a bunch of women and two women therapists. And they kept saying the things to me like, John, you're so good at doing, you should try being. I'm like, what the hell is being? I don't even get it. <laughs> and um, and then uh, a couple years into the journey, I had a full on what they call Kundalini energy awakening. Mm. I didn't even know what the word meant. And it was dramatic and extreme and enthralling and terrifying. Uh, it went on for years. It was most intense, probably the first six months. But during that period of time, I was just flooded with visions and dreams of goddesses. Anything and everything that you would relate to feminine, it was like I was getting a crash course in. So the divine feminine showed up and, and was like right in your life in my face right, right in your face <laughs> in my face like okay. in every way shape and form and and you know the divine feminine when she shows up in another person's life can show up in a lot of different ways but i think one of the ways she shows up is she strips away the masks she strips away the hiding here comes the vulnerability here comes the honesty and oh man i did not like that at all <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't. It's a it's yeah. a very, very uncomfortable um yeah. experience. So just to come back to a couple of things yeah. you said there. So I always have to laugh a little bit. I have this saying that religion is is a is like kindergarten. It's a great place to start, you know, yeah. on your spiritual journey. Cause I was raised in it, and my listeners know in a very religious home. Um, but it always it, I always love having guests like you that have gone through or anyone like you that's gone through an experience. I'm a true believer that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. Right. And the fact that we are divine. So when I meet people that were so, I mean, I have a lot of, which I've had to deal with in my own life. I'm an A-type personality, a lot of uh, kind of male energy where I, yeah. you know, just go, go, go get things done. And this has yeah. been a very interesting decade for me as well. That's why I was so <laughs> excited to have you on the show that it is interesting that I meet people and they're just like, oh no, I don't believe in any of that. And I'm kind of looking at them going, you're a spiritual being and you literally have no open window or door or even a, a vent. <laughs> that is saying there could be more. Yeah. So I, I find it very fascinating. So your experience is, is something I think a lot of people, I'd hate to say it to, to generalize, especially men, because you are taught to be strong and compartmentalize right. and not be, you know, as global as female anyways, we tend to go out and try and fix the village and fix ourselves in at some point in our life. Do you want to talk about the Kundalini experience at all for a second? The reason it caught my eye is I've done the yoga, but I didn't, I do not understand the process that is truly behind it. Just that yeah, I've done I'd a Kundalini yoga experience. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. I'd love to talk about that. And at the end of my book, I actually came to my own conclusion about it. Um, Cause you know, obviously the experience, I didn't know what the word meant. People explained it to me. Mm -hmm. It made me feel really happy. First of all, that this was, not something to be afraid of, even though it could be terrifying at times. Um, and that all cultures uh, describe this energy. They just use different words, but you know, a lot of similarities. And, um, and so classically Kundalini energy, it's, if you can imagine what looks like a tiny serpent that's down in your perineum area and like a little worm, it wakes up 
And uh, what it does is it travels from your perineum up through the central channel on your spine, all the way up to the crown at the top of your head. And what it's doing is healing, cleansing, purifying all your stuff. It's working its way up. So classically simplified, it, it um, purifies all your chakras, works its way up to the top. And when it gets up to the top of the head, Shakti, that's the feminine energy, the Kundalini that's rising, meets Shiva, the crown, the masculine energy, and they enjoy union for the rest of their life. And so that kind of was my experience. And there's no doubt Kundalini is usually described as feminine energy, goddess energy, sexual energy, primal energy, earth energy. That was definitely my experience. Um, but a couple of things I want to say, I found some other, I actually consulted with some other authors and people had written books. And, you know, there's um, one person that says the whole goal of Kundalini awakening is union with the divine. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's one way to look at it. Another lady said, you know, I had a completely different experience. I actually had lived a very feminine life to that point my kundalini awakening was into all things masculine. And she goes, my conclusion is it's actually balancing energy. If you've been one-sided, here comes the other side. And that made sense to me too, because my, uh, I, my predilection, my habit had been highly masculine. And so here came, you might say my other half. Mm -hmm. And so that's another way to look at it. Another, you might have heard uh, a lot of different people out there saying the entire earth, all of mankind is in what they call an ascension process. Mm -hmm. We're all being moved up to a higher vibratory rate. And I, I actually think now for me, and I had a lot of kind of crazy dreams and visions and experiences, I actually like to think of Kundalini as the body. And this whole process is raising the energetic uh, vibration. It's almost like getting the body ready to carry a higher vibration. That's mm. the actual process that's going on. Okay. Because later years after the fact, I had these profound visions of beautiful white light descending from above down into my body. And it's hard to describe. You'd have to read my book and all the stories to see how I was led to this conclusion after all the experiences. But I had a couple, one in particular, one particular experience where I would call, I, I carried the vibration of a divine being. And it was so far beyond what most of us experience as a human being. It was really hard to describe. It felt like a thousand times more ecstatic and pleasurable than any drug or any orgasm, mm -hmm. but my body wasn't, uh, capable of holding it. Literally, I could tell my body's literally going to blow up. And so the whole thing lasted for 10 seconds. Gotcha. <laughs> right so my it, body... was, it was fleeting, went through you and. Yeah. And so, and so this is how I've come to this conclusion that the Kundalini energy, which in my case was extreme, but I think a lot of people at various times in the spiritual journey will have strange energetic experiences. They might be more subtle. Um, but I think there's, I want to say what's going on on the planet is um, bodies are being upgraded to carry a higher vibration and it's being done in waves. And mm. so, uh, that's, that was my grand conclusion at the end of the book It's uh, I think it's where we're all going. And I think it's kind of being done in waves. I and think there's a lot of truth to why we're seeing so much of this work. Like I'm a yeah. big fan of Maureen St. Germain's who wrote the waking up in 5d. And yeah. she talks about the higher vibration, the higher yep. consciousness yeah. that the world has lived in 3d for so long, you know, karma and blame and, and that sort of thing. And that's, it's time to let that all go, but it is a, it is a greater ascension type idea, uh, an awakening. Yeah. 
I don't know if the last couple of years of the crazy that's gone on on the planet has has kind of kickstarted it or whether it was sitting dormant and now is it time? I mean, I don't know. There's there's a lot of belief structures from a lot of people that go in different directions. Yeah. But I find that it doesn't matter kind of what fingers they're going, the body's still moving in the same place. What I mean is we all seem to be kind of on the same path towards more enlightenment. Yeah. You know, I saw a cute, just as a little segue, I saw a cute little meme literally just yesterday two people talking. I think they were aliens. I can't really, I can't really say. And one was talking about Jesus Christ and what the Bible was saying. And he says, well, the message is, what was the message? Be kind to one another. And the aliens looking at her going, so what you're telling me is only one person, maybe two in 2000 years has that message (laughs) and none of you are getting it yet. I paused. Actually pretty close. (laughs) I forgot to stop myself and go, oh, oh, that's good. Yes. Yes. Sometimes that is kind of actually where we're at. Yeah. So it it is, it also, I find that energetically, the more you embrace, the more it finds you. Yeah. So I've had kind of a, a big experience this week. I had an Akashic Records reading and oh, cool. yes, yeah, so you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. And my listeners have been following me on this journey and it was amazing. The message was to please, you've got to let go. This is the focus inside and the rest of it. It's just a limiting belief system that you have literally got to let go of, Shelly. <laughs> it's like, okay. I'm so, with you, Shelly. Right? Getting so rid of was, those old habits, that's the only challenge. So other than the Kundalini experience, was there anything else sort of in, in your journey this last number of years that was a spiritual experience that was really unique that that you like to talk about or like to share? I'll share one for you. Um, that I Well, uh, let's see. I'll share two. How's that? Okay. Um, first of all... Um, I went to um, a weekend spiritual gathering, like 40 people at a doctor's home in Medina, which is a wealthy suburb of Bellevue here close by. Okay. And on the second or third day, um, the retreat leader said, uh, we're going to do a healing. And, um, and he wheeled out this guy in a wheelchair who he, he looked really ill. His eyes looked jaundiced and he Mm. had that, you know, that same kind of straw like hair, like that heavy smokers have his skin didn't look good. And he introduced him as Bernie. He said, Bernie had uh, a brilliant career at Stanford university. You can look him up when you get a chance, you know, he's like a whiz in mathematics, Uh, but Bernie long ago lost touch with his body. He's one of those brilliant academics living only in his head. Mm. And what we're going to do today is try and restore Bernie's, love of and connection to his body and like "Hmm, that sounds interesting and so he goes now i'm looking for volunteers uh now i'm looking for people that have a strong connection to their mind but also a strong connection to their body and i'm thinking well i love being really athletic i've always loved being outdoorsy and athletic and i'm reading lots of books and so i cautiously raised my hand thinking well i'll never be chosen because i've never done any healing work before this is all new to me And he looks at me and calmly says, yes. And so, okay, I've been chosen along with six other people. So now he tells us to surround Bernie in his wheelchair in like a group hug. And he goes, I'm going to play some quiet music for about 20 minutes. And I want you to get in touch with the part of yourself uh, that loves your physicality, you know, that loves your body. And that was pretty easy for me. And, And he goes, I want you to take that love and send it to Bernie. I said, like, hmm. okay, I've never done this before, but you know, I'm game. I'll try. So he starts playing the music. And for about five minutes, I'm in closing my eyes, trying to imagine just how much I love, you know, being active and athletic. And I'm trying to send it to Bernie, but I'm also feeling like 
oh my God, all these people are looking at me and I've never done this before. This is like, I'm so scared, you know, get me out of here. And after five minutes of trying to send this to Bernie and not much happening, all of a sudden the whole group is just swept up in this energy. And in the blink, I see myself like one of those cliff divers in Mexico leaping off in a perfect joy-filled swan dive. And I can feel the joy I have in my body and my athleticism and just, you know, just the joy of the body, I guess. And, and for the next 15 minutes, there's just this unbelievably enlivening energy, this ball of energy around Bernie. <laughs> and when it ends, I have to like crawl off in a corner. I feel all this joy just coursing through my body. And I, I didn't even ask Bernie, like, you know, how was it for you? It was good for me. <laughs> yeah. And so I felt bad. I never actually asked him if he was doing better or not. But here's the funny story, the end of the story. Two years goes by, the same guy is, is doing another uh, weekend. And I show up again, and there's Bernie. And he's not in the wheelchair. He's wearing a green Nike track suit. And I over him telling he's got a personal trainer and how much he loves his personal trainer. So that's wow. one of the, I, I like to say my book is full of stories. I like to say I've been walking the path of the fool because I never know what to expect. And it's part of the message I want to give to all of those rigid, rational men and women that think they know it all and kind of built up walls about themselves. Just open up a little bit. There's so much magic out there that mm -hmm. you might be missing and that I was missing. And it is real. It's not make-believe. Did you open up or were you hit with a hammer? Do you think? I mean, your life was a bit of a hammer, yeah. <laughs> as you explained at the beginning. I think when I went to the first spiritual retreat, I I was very sincere. Like I, I, I he, I remember his website. He says, these retreats are very life renovating. It's like, God, I don't know what that means, but I need some of that. <laughs> gotcha. And so, um, and I walked away with a practice of just heart centered meditation. It wasn't anything fancy. I just, you know, centered mm -hmm. in my heart uh, for about 20 minutes a day, sometimes twice a day. And he had us do a lot of dream work too. And so it turned out, it took me about a week. I started actually accessing my dreams and writing them down and I took them seriously. And so, um, you know, to come back to your question, I, I was trying to do something, but I honestly didn't know that it could end up in Kundalini energy. It could end up with, you know, group healing or I, I didn't know. I just didn't know. But that's the key. And I think yeah. that's what people need to understand. So I'm so yeah. glad you mentioned that. Yeah. You didn't know. You don't need to know. I mean, yeah. if there's one thing I've learned through my own journey and talking to people that have gone through your experiences and even professional coaches and things as well, you don't need to know. I remember going yeah. to a doctor a couple of years ago and he's kind of changed my spinal health. He says, do you need to know what's wrong? Nope. I've been through <laughs> so much for seven years. I'm like, nope. Yeah. Just clear it and let it go. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that you were in the question. So it was kind of funny that you're aware of that now looking back, it's like all you had to be was just in the question of what I just need to. And then the universe has, a. to me, I believe the universe just has an open door to say, oh, wait till you hear what I've got for you. <laughs> there is so much yeah. coming. But sometimes we don't even open the door. Don't even yeah. question any of it. Do you mind if I ask about your kids? Because how sure. old are they now? Um, 32 and 30. How did they react? Well, um, I think in the early days when they were nine and 11, I honestly tried to hide my spiritual journey from them. And I only confined my spiritual journey to a few people I'd met at the retreat and I connected with like online and, 
email and phone. Uh, I joined a dream forum, so I didn't really share a lot with them. Okay. It almost be better if you ask them, but you know, that having been said, um, 10 years later, my daughter ends up going to Maharishi University, which is where, um, you know, kind of the birthplace of TM meditation. And she, you know, organic vegetarian food, meditating in giant golden domes twice a day, consciousness-based education. She got an undergrad in health and human physiology, a master's in Ayurveda. And she is a wise old soul. You know, she's really amazing. My son, I think, is also very spiritual, but you know, he's still going his own way, and he's he's open-minded. Um, so I, you know, to be honest, um, I changed. I definitely became. I know it sounds kind of silly, but I definitely became a better listener uh, than I was before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was probably part of my journey into all things feminine and um, better listener, more compassionate, more intuitive. So I think they thought saw me changing, but I didn't really directly involve them that much. The funniest part to me was, so now I'm a single dad, custody of my two kids. And two years after that began, I am this whole Kundalini thing. And I'd be like running home from work and trying to squeeze a nap in because the Kundalini energetics for me usually came at nighttime. Mm -hmm. And I would say on average, they would come every second or third night and it would go on for as long as I let it. And at some point I'd have to get up and say, go away, I need to sleep. And then, you know, I would be just dog tired the next day and then nothing, no energy would come that night. And then, and so I, you know, running, trying to turn around a a business that's hanging by a thread and being a single dad, you know, I was kind of burning the candle at both ends. And so I try to come home when the school bus got off at, uh, in front of our house about 4 PM and take a nap, like for 20 minutes, like around three or three 30. And I would have all these crazy dreams and visions. I was like, and then the doorbell rings and there's my kids getting off the school bus (laughs) back to reality. (laughs) It was like, yeah, being like this whole other world. And, um, so I, you know, but I didn't really tell them when they walked in the door, like, wow, I just had this crazy dream, you know, and I'd be like, how was school? And, you know, do you have any homework? And, you know, yeah. okay, we've got the, baseball, the regular life, the regular life. Yeah, do you share so. more of it with them now? Uh, or is it a personal journey for you? I've shared a lot with my daughter because she's just more open about that type mm-hmm. of thing. And has had a lot of interesting experiences herself. Uh, my son, some of them, I mean, he sees what I post on Facebook and he's seen the book that's out, um, but it's just not really his thing. So I don't push it. Fair enough. Yeah. That's unconditional love though, is letting everyone have their own experience and letting him have his space for his journey. Cause we're all on our own journey. Some of us get there quickly, some 20 years, some never, and maybe we have to come back and do it again. It's hard to say. I don't know what's real, (laughs) but I just stay open to it all now. You, you you say you stayed fairly, I'm, I'll just use the word traditional a little bit with, with the kids in life, but mm-hmm. in your corporation, you you comment in one of your question and answer stuff that you did bring this, you know, your enlightenment into that environment. Talk to that for us, because I actually do have a large demographic of men. How did that change things for you? I mean, like the Simon Sinek, I follow him on leadership and he just, I am so open now that to me, he just sounds common sense where, you know, 10 years ago, he sounded almost woo woo to me. And now yeah. he just doesn't. He, I just kind of go, yeah. And your point, because once you've reached a certain level of openness, you just expect other people to feel and think like you do. How did it go from male energy, you know, company, you're under all this stress. 
that that whole provider now I'm the just all the limiting beliefs we sometimes raise a lot of our men with now you're going through all this and have a company to run yeah how did you marry those so uh what didn't happen overnight it wasn't always perfect. Um, but you know, in the end, uh, I, I think my employees would say I was a better listener. I was more compassionate. I really, really listened. You know, there's a difference between listening and really listening. Um, I would bring my intuition in, I would have dreams about my salespeople and employees and, and cautiously share my dreams with them. And so how did it become? It became more collaborative. It could be more intimate, it became more honest. Um, and I didn't wear masks that I used mm. to probably wear as somebody who had it all together. Cause I definitely didn't. Um, and, and so I, I don't, I, that's the best way I can put it. It wasn't, no. I don't have any grand, you know, how to make your company successful. I, but that's really what it became. I think I became more, um, intimately involved with my employees, but in a good way, not in an over-the-top way. And did that translate into the company surviving and everyone moving forward? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the company went through two really difficult times, once at the beginning, and then mm -hmm. also in 2008 with another big recession hit. And that kind of, of caught course. up to me in 09, 010. It was horrible all over again. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you a story. Um, we, I had a single product that was our bread and butter and it was in all the Walmart stores in the country. And, um, that was, that was what, that was the difference between a company that was barely hanging on by a thread and a company that was actually making a lot of money in the middle of that recession, Walmart, uh, and a lot of retailers decided, Oh my God, this is a horrible recession. We're going to cut way back on selection. We're going to cut way back on inventory. We're going to go into full on retreat mode. Uh, mm -hmm. we're going to sell everything at dirt cheap prices, because that's what's going on in the country right now. And so my product line, while it was doing well, was not Procter & Gamble well. It wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, and I remember going to the meeting and it was like, uh, you know, it was a little, we had to have a yearly review. Are we going to keep selling your products? And it seemed to go okay. And then, oh, three or four months goes by and we would get a whole slew of orders from Walmart every Monday. And this Monday, the orders didn't come in and it's happened before. I thought it was a computer snafu and, you know, by, and then we finally get a hold of somebody who knows what they're talking about. It's said, well, your product line has been discontinued. It's like, what? Oh. Now in the, and past, that's how you found out. Cause the PO didn't arrive on a Monday. That's no exactly court? right. Yeah. Wow. So okay, yeah, not, sorry. Not cool. <laughs> not cool at all. I never have anything bad to say about Walmart. They are already good, honest, straight shooters. At least that was my experience. And they normally would have said, three months in advance, like, Hey, we're getting ready to, you know, let you go just so you can prepare, but no. So now I've got a ton of unsold inventory, no more orders coming in. And they were, oh, I don't know, at that time, 60% of our business. Mm -hmm. And so that was devastating. And so now I'm in the middle of still a lot of these Kundalini energetics. And it feels like I'm in some kind of relationship with the goddess. It's the only way I can put it. Okay. And I remember going back home in total fear and talking to her and saying, is this really what you want? You know, I kind of got a good thing going here. <laughs> and and uh, is this really what you want? Like, I mean, if this is it, you, you know, I, I was going to go broke eight years ago. If, if you want me to go broke again now, 
I guess, you know, that's what you need me to go through. But I just said, I, I, I want to keep going. So I went to bed that night, a lot of fear. Uh, and, and strangely, this at the same time, a lot of fear, a lot of peace and surrender too. So it was like, Oh crap, I guess we'll see what happens tomorrow. And so we got a hold of the buyer. And part of the problem was they had a new buyer and the, the new buyer was overwhelmed. And I talked to her and, um, and I don't believe, and I've been in Walmart for 30 years that they've ever done this. They said, Oh, we are so sorry. We'll try and figure out a way to get you back in. Oh, wow. And so they didn't get us back into all stores, but they got us back in half the stores and it was just enough to keep us afloat for okay. the period of time. And then a year or two later, they put us back in all the stores again. So, um, now, do you still run that business today or is that? No, I sold the company in okay. 2019, right before COVID hit. God, thank God for that. Cause <laughs> oh my God, the new uh, buyer who's been in business for 65 years said, you know, the last two or three years because of COVID is the most difficult time in their yeah, company history, imagine. just supply chain issues and things like that. Congratulations. Yeah, so, thank so, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. But I think, I think I'd like to really point a, a, a light on that. The fact that I sometimes think people think that when they start this work and start these processes, that it's just all going to be peaches and cream forever. Yeah. And it doesn't. In fact, someone said to me yesterday, a good friend, I was, we have this app called Marco Polo where we chat back and forth, like a live video thing, a walkie talkie. And he's like, why does learning have to be painful? Well, um, I just, his name's Dave. I was like, Dave, I'm not really sure, honey, but that seems to be the consensus <laughs> lots yeah. of times. So it's not always going to be perfect in roses and sunshine because there is no growth. And then you don't trust. Yeah. I, I truly believe the trust is such a huge part of this whole journey. You got yourself, I'm going to use the term, you can put all the adjectives around it you like, but you got yourself out of the mess with all of this learning and this help. Uh, and got the company where you wanted it and you carried on and, and things became successful again and you didn't lose your house and you know your children right. you weren't living in a homeless shelter yeah and then there was a bump in the road because yeah. bumps in the road come yeah family work marriages and it's about learning to deal with the bumps did you feel the same way that's really the adversity it doesn't go away it's how we're now open to the learning and how we move through it what are your thoughts on that that's a really good question and um I feel like, I think we sometimes, it sounds kind of cliche, the, the same lesson keeps happening until we learn it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so that's one way to look at it. Another way is I remember the second time I went through it going, okay, this sucks again, <laughs> again. but I had more tools and I think you nailed the word trust. Um, some people use the word faith, but I like the word trust better. It's like, you know, um, and I like the word surrender, like I'm doing the best I can. Like for a while there, my mantra is do your best, let go, do your best, let go, do your best, let go. And um, yeah, so I think um, no matter what life throws at me now, there's still that habitual response of like, oh shit, now what, you know, <laughs> but there's also a greater trust, like, okay, I can deal with this. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do, mm -hmm. but I can deal with this. And in many ways, I feel like my life has been, um, I like to say, walking the path of the fool where over and over again, I keep stumbling into things like, geez, you know, now what do I do? Or how is that possible? That type of thing. Okay. So then let me ask you how the average person can experience more synchronicity in, in their life or my life. Yeah make it personal because you are now remarried, right? Yep. Okay. So mm -hmm. you have this whole 20 years, the kids 
got raised, you know, and no one's living on the street right. and the business survived and was sold eventually. And, and the learning continues and the trust has been build, built and you now have a, 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 you know, a loving relationship in your life. How can people, and, and you, I know you'll bring in your own experiences into this, experience more of that in their life? Um, I don't know, Shelly, but here's my best guess. Okay. Um, you know, you talked at the beginning about us being, I forget how you put it, a divine or spiritual being, mm -hmm. have a human experience, right? You know, and so I believe that. And I think if I were to counsel anybody that wants to experience synchronicity in your life, I would say, go and ask, I want mm -hmm. to experience more synchronicity. Like start, start there Two, uh, and then ask, say, I, you know, this, this human being, this ego, this me that I identify, I want to be in alignment with my soul. Because I actually think behind it all, the soul is orchestrating everything. The soul has decided what kind of experiences it wants to have. And, um, and so it's sort of like not having you, the ego you, that's you know got a lot of conditioning, probably baggage, cultural mm -hmm. baggage, family baggage, and um, you know, trying to set that aside and say, you know, and, if, and if you prefer to say, what does God want? What is God's will? And that works for me too. Yeah, me too. There's some higher power, divine part of you that actually does know what it's doing, that has a plan, and to put yourself in alignment with that. And then, um, and the other thing I would say is, uh, follow your desire because crazy as it sounds, I really desired to go to that first spiritual retreat, but I had so much baggage and bad habits. Mm -hmm. I built up that I thought it was dumb mumbo jumbo. And yet every time I read Michael Crichton's story, I could just feel myself tingling and my body come alive. So I, I would say there's probably two kinds of desires. There's the desire you might've gotten from your school, your church, your upbringing, your parents, yeah, your culture, your community. And then there's the deeper desire. And I would say, follow those deeper desires, get in touch with them and be a little bold and see where it takes you. And then when they start to happen, mm -hmm. pay attention and they'll start to happen even more. I, and, I agree. People, yeah. we don't, we're like, oh, that was just coincidence or, you know, the, we, we yeah. want to discount it. If we, if we haven't accepted it yet, there's just yeah. this slew of excuses of that wasn't that it was, it's just okay. It was just, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> was it though? Yeah. Yeah. When it's once, yes, twice, maybe when it happens over and over again, I think there's something going on here. Did you ever hear the story about the flood and the guys, the police arrive at his front door and say, Hey, we're evacuating. Yeah. And he says, no, God's going to save me. And then he gets on his roof and, uh, or at the front porch and a boat comes by, God's going to save me. Now he's on his roof, the helicopter, he gets to the pearly gates. He goes, God, he goes, I sent you a cop, a boat and a helicopter. How much more help do you want? <laughs> and I just love that analogy because we do that as human beings. Discount, discount, yeah. discount. It's we also have in our mind what we think it should look like in advance. And so, yeah, it's been, it's my journey even today is like, um, I, I, there's another mantra I have in my head. I don't have to do it that way anymore. I don't have to oh. see it that way anymore. Oh, I like and that. So I, I share, I'll tell you real quickly, a, a story, story in my book uh, where I had, cause I used to have to fly a lot, probably 25 times a year. Okay. And typically from Seattle to the East coast, typically there was a connection. It was all day flying. Mm. I get up early in the morning, have a 30 minute meeting and then fly all the way back. And that was just the nature of my, uh, my business. So I had to fly from Seattle to Jacksonville, Florida with a connection in Dallas. And I threw my back out the day before. And all I could think about was, 
oh my God, this is going to be horrible. Sitting in an uncomfortable airplane seat, you know, with no leg room all the way to Dallas, all the way to Jacksonville, you know, rental car, hotel, dinner with my sales team, a meeting, you know, nothing but sitting in uncomfortable positions and then fly all the way back. I'm like, so here's the voice in my head. This is going to be horrible. And um, I get up the next morning, hoping for a miracle. I've had some of these didn't happen this time. Now my back was stiff and sore. I'm standing in line about to hand my boarding pass and driver's license to the TSA agent. And I'm grumbling. I'm stealing myself. This is going to be hard. I'm going to, you know, when I get back, I'm going to have to rehab and stretch and, you know, and all of a sudden a voice in my head is humming the chorus to the song. Don't worry, be happy. And it's aiming the vibrations of the song to my lower back. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there like, and I kind of knew loosely that sound could be healing and vibration mm-hmm. could be healing. And I, and I just kind of went, hmm. so I, whatever that is, joined in and started humming, don't worry, be happy and pretending that my song was being aimed at my lower back. And the nice thing about airports and airplanes is there's a lot of noise. So nobody <laughs> hears you it's humming the same song over there's and over again. There's a crazy person sitting next to me. <laughs> oh my God, Shelly, it was bizarre. I, I'm in a, I'm, my first seat is against the window and the person next to me is unusually large. And I, again, the voice in my head is grumbling. Oh my God, I'm going to have to sit scrunched up against the window and all crooked and it's going to be terrible. But I hummed that song a thousand times to Dallas. And when I got off, if my, on a scale of one to 10, if my pain was at a six to start, it was a four when I got off the plane. I'd never had that happen before. So I hummed in my layover. I hummed on the next flight. And again, every single flight, some impossibly large person is in the middle seat, pinning me against the window. Long story short, I have my appointment the next morning. I'm flying home. I get my last flight from Dallas to Seattle and I'm humming and all the, the plane's full and I have an empty seat and I'm thinking, ah, I must have passed some test of the universe. This is great. <laughs> you know, who knew that humming could heal my bad back? And um, no, a woman comes down the aisle with an unusually large two-year-old and plops down in the middle seat next to me. And he's kicking me the whole time, but didn't matter. I hummed all the way from Dallas to Seattle. Anyway, I get off the plane and my pain in that, you know, 36 hours has gone from a six to a one. And and so this is an example of me. I like to use the example of if I was a three-year-old and I got viciously attacked by a black dog, I might just assume that big black dogs are vicious for the rest of my of life and run around afraid of black dogs. And so, um, and so because my experience in the past was every time I threw my back out, uh, it would take me weeks to recover. I'd have to stretch and do rehab mm-hmm. and walk and sit, you know, with a pillow behind my back and do static back and all these things. But who knew I could just sing to my back and, you know, it didn't happen instantly. And I've caught myself driving long distances where my, you know, getting a little creaky and stiff, you know, and I'm grumbling about it. And I'm going to back and sing the song again. And immediately, maybe 50% of my discomfort goes away. And so this has been my journey. And a lot of the stories in my book is all of the ways I used to do things. I'm unlearning them and learning new ways of doing things. Excellent. I want to ask you about intuition Um, is something I struggle with. You know, there's so many times this last couple of years where I just went, okay, your team told you and you ignored them. (laughs) It's like, please, Shelly, would you just freaking listen to me? That's what, that's what my intuition is always telling me. So it's, it's a work in progress for me. How can the average person get more in touch with their intuition? Um, How did your journey work for that part of it? Um, Well, I, I don't, I can't really pinpoint one thing um, except 
I, I started heart centered meditation. Mm-hmm. I did shadow work. Um, I did a lot of dream work, which again, that first teacher said that was about making the unconscious conscious. But as I think a consequence of that, my dreams went way beyond just regular dreams, which today I would say still 80 plus percent of my dreams are just a regular dream. Okay. But it expanded into, uh, I have a chapter in book called the spectrum of dreams. And I think I outlined 15 to 20 different kinds of dreams, you know, they're kind of all over the map. And so I can't pinpoint one thing, uh, except, um, what intuition feels like to me is a quiet, subtle, quick voice that my loud mouth mind and ego wants to override all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate to that. (laughs) Yeah. It's quick. It's subtle. Sometimes it is a voice. Most of the time it's just a feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the best way for people to get in touch is I always like to say, ask, I want to be in touch with my intuition. I want to be more intuitive. That's number one. Number two, uh, it helps to reduce what I, what I call the noise in your life, you know, Mm -hmm. um, social media, TV, being on the phone all the time, you know, just trying to give yourself some quiet time because intuition is subtle and quick. Mm -hmm. Um, three, um, Yeah, I think meditation, anything where you give yourself the space of some quiet time where you're all to yourself, like I'm going to be just with me right now. Um, Boy, there was something else I was going to say, but it slipped my mind. Um, I like the comment about being subtle and quiet. Yeah, yeah. because our worlds are so full of so much noise. And if you're someone like me that has struggled with mind chatter anyways, and I'm always blah, blah, blah. That voice is so soft that it's just like, oh, if I, it's literally that quickly. And it's like, oh, I didn't pay attention. And I move on where I could have just stopped and listened to, oh, oh, you need me to notice that on it. Thanks. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. It's that (laughs) subtle, that quick. And I, you know, a lot of times that voice, that quiet, subtle voice is don't say anything, John, (laughs) but I don't listen to it. And I start talking, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, that's part of the learning to listen. Like sometimes when I'm with somebody and they're kind of struggling with something, I've had to kind of learn to listen to that little voice that says, just hold space for them. Just listen. A lot of times people can solve their own problems if somebody's just present with them. But no, I have so much to say and I override and, you know, it's like, no, 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 just be quiet. Listen. So I'm going to say intuition and psychic messages kind of, to me, kind of overlap and people get messages. They get their intuition a lot of different ways. Um, uh, Dougal Frazier, a popular psychic, a really funny guy, calls himself the queer guy with a third eye. Very funny guy. <laughs> when he's doing a reading, it's like he's looking at you, but in the corner of his eye, a movie is flashing really quickly, a bunch of images. And he said, like, if he sees his uncle Charlie, he knows there's uncle alcoholism involved. And, and so he's frantically, quickly trying to interpret these visual messages coming. Mm. Other people get voices that talk to them. Some people get that intuition through feeling. Uh, I just oh, a couple of weeks ago met with a gal and I was talking to her about something and she kept smiling and pointing to her forearm. I'm like, what, what? I couldn't say anything unusual about her forearm. She goes, truth bumps, truth bumps. And so she has learned that her intuition, how she tells if somebody is telling the truth or if it feels mm-hmm. uh, right for her is she'll get um, like goosebumps over her flesh. Like, And so that's the other thing I would encourage everybody is your intuition might come in your own unique way. Mm -hmm. But I think everybody has a a sort of a connection to a higher wisdom, uh, their soul, their divinity. And and it starts with believing it's possible, giving Mm -hmm. yourself some space, 
so that you're not noisy you know, all the time. And that's a difficult one, having you know, a noisy interior. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But that was... you, you already described it. That's exactly how it is for me. The, the quiet, subtle voice It's learning to listen to that more than the, than the mind chatter. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I recognize the feeling. I know it's such a silly little thing, but I, I was just up in Penticton and I was going to make a comment when we were talking about noise. I love visiting our little old house up there that belongs to my yeah. family because it's old. There's no electronics. Yeah. And yeah. I installed Wi-Fi so I could work there, but I turn it right off at night. Yeah. I sleep so much better. But yeah. when I was going up this last trip, which was just like two weeks ago, I went to my freezer. I was packing up some food and there was this thing of frozen dog food that my girlfriend had left. And I threw it in. I thought it just said, take it and the voice. And I just went, why? <laughs> Fine. I threw it in. I've no, I get there. She comes down to visit a week later. She goes, you won't believe this. I forgot Luna's food. <laughs> I love that. Well, sweetie pie, don't panic. Cause Annie Shelley's got it. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea why I packed it. I said to her, I said, it just, it was there. And you know, cause she's, she's one of my girlfriends that aligns with this. And uh, she's like, that's hysterical because I was about to panic. I got in the car and went, you know what? It'll just work out. <laughs> I know it's just frozen dog food. It was a perfect example. There's yeah. the quiet voice. Please listen. The other person has gotten peace. It's handled. Yeah. There's other things to deal with. This is dealt with. It was uh, I love that. It, it was that great. It's actually <laughs> such a cool, extraordinary way to live life. And uh, yeah, I would, I would have just written that off to, as a coincidence at some point, but I don't hear enough of them. It's like, no, there's something else going on here. And I'm so glad to, that I actually listened to it. I know we've got yeah. a piece of property up for sale right now, just in closing. And, and I am not even panicked. I have, we have done a lot of property stuff when we were first married 20 someone years ago. And I remember when things were a little sideways, I got panicked and I didn't know whether to accept the offer. And I remember just losing my mind. And I thought, I do not ever want that back in my life again. So that my, now that I've worked with my higher self connection and I get the physical experience when the answer is yes, my whole throat just uh, literally, it's just a full on. It almost grabs me. And when it's a no, my lower stomach just, it's like, oh, thank you. So my higher self connection is a physical reaction as well. And I've, you know, worked at fine tuning it. And I just accept now, whatever's going to happen with this sale, I will just ask and I will listen. Yeah, That's all I've told myself. You're going to ask and you're going to listen. You do not know what the outcome is going to be. You do not know what you're going to get offered, what you're willing to accept because you don't need to know right now. Yeah. (laughs) A little different than the person I was 25 years ago. Yeah. Love, it was so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us here today. Tell us please where people, it'll be in the show notes. Everyone, you know, it's always there, but where can people find your book? Yeah. So my book is called The Synchronicity of Love, Mm -hmm. Stories That Heal, Transform, and Awaken. Uh, You can find it on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. I just found out the other day. It's actually on Target.com and Walmart.com too. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, thanks for joining us here today. And I'll catch you on the flip side. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. Stay connected with us directly through livingwellwithshell.com and Instagram at livingwellwithshell. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through shelly at livingwellwithshell.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Thank you. And remember, willpower will only get you so far if you don't have a plan.